Thank you guys. Good reminder of the truthfulness that God loves us. We all need to have that confidence and that assurance in our hearts and lives. Tonight, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue in this journey through the hall of faith. And tonight we consider the man named Noah. man named Noah in tonight's hall of famer. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7. One verse tonight and we'll move over to the book of Genesis and catch up on some of the, the background of what's being said tonight. But Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith Noah, being, born, being warned of God of things not yet as not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Let's pray together. Father, we come tonight in need of your strength, your power, your grace, Lord, to, for this moment. And God, I know that uh, you desire to speak to your people through your word. Our prayers, your Holy Spirit would do that thing tonight, that he would teach us and guide us in the things of you. Lord, teach us spiritual things, Lord, that are eternal in consequence. And God, through this great example, uh, that your people would be edified and encouraged, and uh, we would be more grounded and anchored in truth. And Father, for Brother Nathan tonight, I pray that you give him the unction of the Spirit of God as he opens your word there uh, to the kids. And Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, tonight in this text of Scripture, we have three things, basically, uh, that I want to share with you in this one verse. Number one, we see that Noah responded, Noah responded to God's word. Noah responded to God's word. And then number two, we see that Noah rebuked the world. That Noah rebuked the world. And lastly, that Noah received God's righteousness. He received God's righteousness. You see those things pretty clear uh, in that text of Scripture. You know, someone uh, has noted as we continue on this journey uh, through this hall of, hall of faith that we have before us, that Abel, that it was about his worship. And then Enoch, it was about his walk. And now for Noah, it's about his work, that we see that his work evidenced uh, that he had been born again and that there had been a change take place in his heart and life. You know, in every generation, it seems as though uh, that Satan has a, a strong presence in making people believe that they can earn their way to salvation, that they can earn their something that they can do, uh, you know, area of bring, add works to, to faith in some way, and that will make them right with God. And as the devil is, does that very successfully in every generation, and he leads people uh, to eternal lostness and eternal damnation through that. Uh, so uh, that's one of his favorite tools uh, to trip people up and to mislead them uh, into eternal uh, death. But I think we need to take away tonight that we can't remove ourselves from the importance of works that our works do not save, but they do give great evidence of our salvation. They give evidence to the fact that we have experienced change in our life. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
and all of these Hall of Famers here in the Hall of Faith that they evidence that their life has been, had been changed uh, by God. And genuine conversion had taken place. Now, this person by the name of Noah, that he, had, uh, he was a marathoner for he, his life for 120 years uh, that he faithfully uh, shone and lived the gospel and the fact that he evidenced that his life had been impacted, that he had put faith in God. Now, he defied uh, human experience, that he defied the culture that was all around him, and as he did that, that he successfully and he proved out his faith for all the world around him to see. And uh, as a result of that, uh, those people who uh, lived around Noah, that they had an opportunity to be exposed to truth. Now, Noah, that he responded to God's word. It says that by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 6, if you will. Genesis chapter 6 tonight, and we'll make a few references and, and read a few verses out of this uh, good chapter. Genesis 6 and 7 there. Uh, helps us to see this, the original story of what took place there and the flood, the flood being uh, the most, uh, most influential uh, thing that has happened in the history of, of mankind apart from uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the biggest event, the biggest, the biggest event in world history. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, let's start reading tonight in verse number 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make it in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark, to keep them alive with thee, they shall be male and female." 
of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. There's a, in a nutshell, uh, we see uh, the, the story of Noah. And obviously, from the condensed version that we get in Hebrews chapter 11, that the writer of Hebrews fully expects uh, that these people were familiar with and knew the story of Noah. That it was well known, that it had been repeated, that it had been taught among them, and they were very familiar with it. Now, here we have a man uh, who was living somewhere between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Uh, they, he was a long way from the Mediterranean Sea, that he was a long way from the Persian Gulf. There is no uh, real reason other than a direct command of God for this guy to ever have anything to do with building a boat. That is not what his normal daily activity consisted of. More than likely, that Noah was a farmer in that fertile area. That that is how um, most everybody and anybody uh, made a living there in that area that he was from. I think it's impossible for you and I to imagine what went on inside of the heart and the mind of Noah as he was trying to rationalize and understand exactly everything that God had revealed to him, everything that had been known to him about what was yet to come. Uh, Noah probably had a hard time digesting all of that. I just know that I would if it was me. And I think that he uh, was in a similar fashion, had to, had to sort through all that. But the man with this much faith, this much faith, it blows me away. There's no way that I can grasp the amount of faith that it took for this man to do and to go and obey and to be the person that God had called him to be. He had a huge amount of faith on a small amount of revelation, so to speak. And compared to what you and I have, that we have God's printed word uh, in our hand, that we have the indwelling, constant indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, and yet uh, he did not falter, that he did not fail, but he obeyed. And day after day after day after day, that he continued to walk in obedience, that he had a consistent faith that allowed him to finish the task that God had set before him. You know, there's a lot of people who have some up and down every now and then faith, but you don't see too many people who have a consistent every day, day by day, walking with the Lord that can compare and equate to someone like the person of Noah. You know, this man, he had his own needs to take care of. Remember, he, he had to make a living for himself. All the while, he was building this ark. All the while, he was uh, carrying on the mission of being a preacher of righteousness, that he had a family to raise, he had food to raise, he may have had some cattle to take care of. And yet, I think we can safely assume that he had zero experience Zero experience when it come uh, to building a boat of any sort. Uh, his sons, when you start looking uh, at the, uh, the time frame, his sons were not even able to help him for some 30 years of it. 
They weren't even born the first 20, I think that's right. And so for many years, he'd had probably had no help whatsoever. And so this man had a monumental job that was ahead of him, one that would be overwhelming, that it would be crippling when you just fear would paralyze many of us when we thought uh, about what God had laid before him. And yet this man, that he took what God had told him and that he acted upon what God had told him. We don't know, uh, you know, did he sit around for a week or ten days and try to get his get his plan together? We don't know, but the implication is clear that Noah did not waste any time in doing what God had told him to do. That he uh, understood, heard and understood what God had called him to do and that he faithfully acted on what God had told him uh, in his own spirit. Says, now faith, Noah being warned of God of things not, se- not seen as yet. Look at verse number 1 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We see that that is very much uh, being uh, lived out in the life of this man by the name of Noah. One who had never seen, one who had never felt, and one that I don't think he had ever experienced any rain up until this point. And he had definitely uh, not been a part of a flood of any kind. That, well, that's totally out of the picture. And yet Noah responded. Did he, was it a dream? Uh, was it an audible voice? Was it uh, just inside of him that God spoke this, an internal witness of the Spirit? I, I don't know. But, but Noah, that w- however God revealed his plan to Noah, that Noah was eager and that Noah accepted the, the plan and the voice of God that Noah heard what God was saying to him. And he did that, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, says that he was moved with fear. Moved with fear. And some translations say holy reverence. Holy reverence. That that's what motivated, that was the motivation in Noah's life is that he had a great reverence. He had a great uh, devotion to Almighty God. He took what God said, not lightly, but he took very seriously the words of God. And in Genesis 6 and verse 9, he, he has a great testimony that he too walked with God. Walked with God. And so Noah was in the habit of walking with God. He was in the habit of hearing the voice of God. In the habit of being obedient. I doubt this was Noah's first day being obedient to God. Have you thought about that? That we often say, well, Noah, he was obedient. But I, I would have to believe that it's just God's way to allow us and to cause us to prove ourselves in small acts of obedience before God brings great opportunities for obedience. You need to, need to remember that. That God gives us opportunity for small acts of obedience before he gives us opportunity for great acts of obedience. All the people that want to do great things. I've had people 
uh, come in my office, Brother Ronnie Jr. I want to be used of God. I want to, you know, I want to teach Sunday school. I want to do this. I want to do that. But they're not faithful to, to the things that God's already given them. Do the math on that. It don't add up in my book. What about yours? If we want to see God use us in great ways, it's going to be as you and I are faithful in the small things of life. And that's how I have to believe what happened in Noah's life, that he had been faithfully walking with God for many years in his life and that God saw the heart of a man that would do whatever he told him to do and that he would do it with all of his might. And that's the person, the kind of person that God uses for his honor and glory. Matthew 25, 21, the Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, and I'm going to make you ruler over many things. God will bless faithfulness in your life, and God will bless and honor faithfulness every time. Without exception, God will bless and honor faithfulness. Now, I don't know what it will look like, you being faithful and you honoring God, what He tells you, it may bring some insurmountable task in your, in your mind and in your eyes, but keep being faithful just as you've been faithful. God, He will still be faithful. And the next time when He calls on you, be faithful, and God will be faithful in that as well. I guarantee you will. It says that He, moved with, he was moved with fear, reverence, devotion, Oh, something that was inside of him. It wasn't, he wasn't moved with his own glory. He wasn't moved with his own fame. He had a proper motivation. He was motivated by the glory of God. That's the proper motivation in our life. The glory of God. What did he do? He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. There in Genesis 6 and 14, 14 and 15, it gives, it gives us just the basic dimensions of this ark. Basically, it's a football, and a, it's a one and a half football fields long. It's a football field wide and about four stories tall. All right, there you go. That, that's the basic dimensions of this, of this ark. 438 to 450 feet long. Some 75 feet wide. And still... Uh, still to this day, that those proportions, the ratio to length to width is still in the neighborhood of what they build ships to even today. It's amazing how smart God is. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's said there's almost 100,000 square feet of deck space on those three decks. 1.3 million cubic feet of storage. Five, it would equal the capacity of 570 railroad cars. It's quite a few. Could hold well over 100,000 sheep-sized animals with room for storage. Now, there's all, nobody knows how many animals were on uh, the ark. Some people say it was a few thousand, and some people say it was on up to 100,000 as they use a number saying sheep size because they consider a sheep to be a fairly average uh, size animal and you consider, you know, a field mouse or something like that and compared to, a, you know, a giraffe or whatnot. 
and uh, knowing that they probably didn't find the biggest elephant they could find to load up that day, uh, I think that God probably sent one that was quite manageable, is my, my guess. How about yours? No, you think about, man, how in the world, how in the world was he going to go about rounding up all those critters? He didn't have to. God sent them his way. God brought them. He did it. If God could bring the flood, God can bring the animals to the ark as well. And you, you can go on and read more about that and get all the details of it. But he prepared, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. We see that it, it's, a, it's a wonder. It really is. It's a wonder that, that, that Noah, that he constructed this ark. It's a wonder that the flood came. It's a wonder that it floated. It's a wonder that it held all the animals. It's a wonder that it didn't take on too much water. It's a wonder. It's a wonder. It's a wonder. All these things. And all we can say that God was in the middle of it all. That's all we can say. It's a physical wonder, but we see as well that it's a spiritual wonder as it wonderfully pictures salvation. That ultimately, that the ark, that it points to something else, that it points to the fact that salvation is offered through the Lord Jesus Christ and that all those who will get in the ark, that they can be saved. And that they will be saved if they will come and they will get in the ark. But sadly, it also pictures the reality that many will never ever get in the ark in a world that was filled up. You know, it's hard for us to comprehend and, and there's no way that, that we can pinpoint exactly how many people inhabited the earth uh, some 1,500 years uh, into it. But with people living uh, to be seven, eight, nine hundred years of age and without a, a, a rapid uh, succession of death, that th we're looking at a population of millions of people at this time and yet out of those millions of people that there were really only eight who got in the ark now I personally believe that there were some other righteous people along that time but they died they died off to the fact before the flood came and that it was only Noah and his family that's all that there was that was going to get in on the ark that's hard to imagine isn't it but yet it 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 pictures for us that it's a narrow road. It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow way. And broad, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Should be a great warning in our lives personally, a great warning in our lives that we are to be busy as we share, to share the gospel, be busy being faithful. Being faithful with the good news that Christ Jesus made a way through the cross. And that if we enter in, that we can be saved. And not only in the ark, but even the pitch says that they, they covered the outside. They covered the inside with pitch to keep, to keep the water out. And the, the scholars will tell you that that is a great great picture that we have been spared from the wrath and the judgment of God that the blood of Jesus has been applied to our case and the fire and the the watery judgment has been kept back from us and what a beautiful thing 
to think in the grace and the goodness of God and even here as in the midst of, of destroying a world that we were seeing that He came to be a Savior. And this Noah, I want to highlight this, that Noah, that he was not a perfect man, he wasn't saved, he wasn't rescued because he had all of his I's dotted and T's crossed. Don't, not too far removed from this, in chapter number 9, you'll find that he is drunken, that he's pulled all his clothes off. Not a very good picture of what you and I would like to uh, display as a, as a righteous person. All the more reminding us of the fact that it isn't about us and it's about what he's done. Noah, man like that, he couldn't save himself for five minutes. Best five minutes of Noah's life wouldn't save him. Best five minutes of your life wouldn't save you, wouldn't save me. But he had a saving faith. He had a saving faith in Almighty God. Look at the second part of that verse where Noah rebuked the world. By which he condemned the world. Now in 2 Peter Chapter 2 and verse 5 says that Noah was a preacher or a herald of righteousness. One person said that the only thing harder than a hard job is hard people. And that Noah, that he found himself with a hard job and that he found himself in the midst of some hardened people. The people in Noah's day, that they were hardcore sinners and they were some of the most corrupt, some of the most wicked, some of the most vile people that the world has ever known. And I don't, I don't see, can, can you imagine how they can be much more vile, much more wicked, much more corrupt than what we experience? I can hardly imagine it. I was listening I was listening to Billy Graham today. Uh, if you have a serious radio, uh, there's a Billy Graham uh, station on there. And tell you what, that rascal was tearing up Jack today back in the 50s. Uh, I don't know for sure where he was at, but he was letting her rip. I know that. And, and he was, man, telling how terrible things were in the 50s. How vile, how desperate shape that we are in as a culture and as a nation and as a world. Oh my goodness, how it's magnified. And oh my goodness, I wonder how it compares to what Noah lived in every day of his life. Yet, it was so wicked that God destroyed it. Genesis 5 verse 6, the wickedness of man was great. It says that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continuously and continually. You know what? What a, what a conversation piece Noah had. God gave him a great opportunity. He's building an ark. Can you imagine all the people who came by there just to see what he was doing? You know, you know how we are around here in our little neck of the woods. If somebody's building something, we're going to go on a little drive some evening and just check out what they're doing. Why? Because we're nosy. That's why. We want to know what the neighbors are doing. We think it's our prerogative. We need to know. 
I bet the same thing happened then. People were wondering, what in the world? What in the world are you building? And why are you building a boat? We don't need a boat here. We've never needed a boat. We're not going to need a boat. We've never even seen a boat. He preached. He took the opportunity to preach. To preach righteousness is what the Bible says. He preached that a righteous God had had enough and that he was going to destroy the world and that he would save them if they'd get in the boat. That's what he preached to them. He preached salvation. Preached damnation and salvation is what he preached. Because a righteous God, a righteous God must judge sin. And a righteous God also made a way for sinners to be saved. That's what he preached. Damnation and salvation. The terrible... You know, sometimes we look at the, uh, the flood, we look at some of the, the biblical judgments of God, and people say, that's terrible, that's unmerciful, how could God, uh, you know, how could God put the world under all that water for, let it rain for 40 days and be underwater for a year? How could a loving, gracious God do that? Well, for 120 years, He had sent Him a preacher. In His grace, in His mercy, that He had sent them help. And yet they never ever listened to the man of God preach. So never confuse God's patience with God's apathy. Many times in our life that we're in the midst of sin and we, and we rationalize that and say, well, if God didn't like it, He would do something about it. Never confuse God's patience with your, you and me with God's apathy that He doesn't care. God loves you. God will. He's got His timing, His ways and that I don't understand and know. But God will not let you just continue on in sin. It's not His way. 1 Peter 3.20 says, When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing. Together, destruction and deliverance were being prepared at the same time. Both of those things. God's destruction and God's deliverance was both being prepared at the same time. Now, this wicked generation had the example of and preaching of faithful men such as Abel, of faithful men such as Enoch, faithful men like Noah. And the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of people. Oftentimes I think that we uh, discount the activity and the working of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible says that my spirit shall not always strive with man. Implying, implying that the spirit had been striving with man. Look over there in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 3. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. For that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred 
and 20 years. I haven't just dove all into that verse and dissected it and all, but I think as you read that, that you see that God, He, he wasn't going to continue to allow them to live hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and ignore the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in their life continually. He said, you're going to live no longer than 120 years. He got tired of the Spirit being spurned. Tired of the Holy Spirit being rejected. That even in these pre-flood days, and especially... In the pre-flood days that the Holy Spirit of God was working and drawing people to God. And yet they continued to reject the love of God that reached out to them. Oh, how that is so reflective of our own society. That the Holy Spirit works and moves and draws people and sends them messengers and has has people in their path that will uh, help them and show them the way and, and teach them. And it seems as though that we continue to enjoy the depravity and the disparity that we find in our sin. In Matthew 24, that 37-39, it says that, But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. That the very things that prevailed in the time of Noah. The sinful, carefree living. That so marked that civilization and that last generation. That it's going to look very similar to it when the Lord comes back again. I have to believe that we must be near. We must be near. I know that Paul thought it was near when he lived. Billy Graham thought that it was near in the 50s. My goodness, it must be near within our nation and around the world that we can't even figure out what gender we are anymore. In our nation and around the world when we don't have enough sense to value human life anymore. It must be near with sexual exploitation like I've never seen. Whether, whether it be in the young or whether it be in the disabled or, who, or some gender. Friend, I've never seen it like I've seen it now. Abuse. All sorts of abuse all around the world. Not just in big cities. Not just in other nations. But in our community. Religious leaders who are like the Pied Piper. And people following them off a cliff. It must be near. Race relations. Oh. I thought we got over that in the 60s. No. Tensions are just as high today as they've ever been. It must be near. When when total tribes and communities of people are being eradicated from the planet, from the face of the earth, genocide. Oh, it must be near. 
When more people today are giving their lives for the gospel than ever has in history. Oh, it must be near. It must be near. The last part of seven. That Noah received God's righteousness. Quickly, and he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. I think there's two phrases there that he says that he became heir and by faith. Those are two very enlightening phrases that helps us to understand how that Noah was righteous. He was a recipient. He was a recipient of God's righteousness. And really, he was the first person in the Bible uh, to be labeled uh, as righteous. When you go back there in chapter 6, it says that he was just. The same, same root basic word as righteous. He's the first one. So he says he was just or righteous, named in the Bible. Now, some people call uh, this righteous an alien righteousness. If you ever read that, don't freak out. It has nothing to do with Martians or Mars or anything like that. But it means that a righteousness that that you have not contrived of your own. But it's a righteousness that comes from an outside source into your life. And that is what our righteousness is. It's not man's righteousness, self-righteousness. It's God's righteousness that has been imputed to us. And He gave it to us. And that we have it. Because He gave it to us. And not because of any works that we have done. And that was Noah's story. And that's everybody's story. Who has become righteous. That we become righteous not because we've manufactured it. But because we have received it. We've received it. We're declared righteous. Romans 3.22 Even the righteousness of God. Which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe. Philippians 3.9 And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's it. That He became an heir. He was an heir. He received it. When you're an heir, somebody else worked for it, and you get the benefit of it. And that's what happened. That Christ Jesus, He did the work. And that you and I, that we have become a beneficiary. we become the recipient of the grace. We've received it by faith. By faith. That's the only way. It's by faith. And throughout this entire, entire chapter, Reminds us, and I want to continue pointing this out, that this was written to people who were struggling. They were struggling with the fact that, man, all of my my father, my grandfather, his father, they've been in a a works-based religious system. They thought they were earning it. They thought they were making God happy by what they did. And this Hebrew writer is taking them to the very beginning. Taking them to Abel. Taking them to Enoch. Taking them to Noah. 
to the, to the very beginning of time, says, oh no, your father and forefathers, they've never ever been saved by works. They've always been saved by faith. There's never been one person that's been saved by their works. Through all history, it's been by faith. Putting their faith in what God has done and said. And that's how you and I If we ever come to peace with God, it will be because we've come by faith. That's it. Have you entered into that ark? Do you know Christ? Have you heeded the warning? Have you took him up on the invitation to come? To come and be saved? You can tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we...